Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisol Hoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Protesters in Sudan ignore the army's demand to stop demonstrations and UN adopts weakened resolution on sexual violence in conflict. In economics news, EU ready to help Nigeria achieve its renewable energy investment. And in sports news, a Spanish soccer giant Barcelona on the verge of La Liga title after beating Alaves. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The African Union Troika Summit has given the Sudanese military three months to implement democratic reforms in the country. The meeting was held in Cairo in Egypt. The SAS former South African president, Tabumbeki, said the challenges that continued to plague Sudan needed an urgent dialogue that would see the country move forward in peace. Sudanese have taken to the streets demanding that the military hand over power to civilians after protesters forced Omar al-Bashir to resign as president. Beki believes the solution lies in the hands of the Sudanese. To carry through that process of democratization, you need a truly inclusive process so that all of the various tendencies and factions uh, in Sudan come to this thing, the rural and urban, the women, the youth, really a truly inclusive process so that the Sudanese can then decide what should happen to their country in terms of, I'm saying, in terms of its democratic transformation. Ugandan police say they have placed opposition politician Bobby Wine under preventative arrest in his house in the capital, Kampala. They say the singer planned to disrupt public order and officers would stay outside his home until further notice. The MP, whose real name is Robert Kuyangulani, was taken into police custody on Monday when one of his concerts was cancelled and his supporters tear-gassed. Bobby Wine has vowed to continue his campaign until President Uweri Museveni is out of office. He has urged his supporters to exercise their right to demonstrate. The death toll following the devastating floods in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province has risen to 51. The weather service warns the rains will continue over the province, with the weather only expected to clear from Thursday. Meanwhile, schooling in the Eastern Cape province has been disrupted following heavy rains across the country. The Education Department urged school governing bodies and principals to suspend academic activities in areas affected by heavy rains until weather patterns change for the better. The education spokesperson Luhi Sopulumani says the step has been taken in the best interests of the learners and teachers. 
for those schools that have been, may have been adversely affected by by the heavy downpours, you know, the blessings that we've been experiencing over the past few days. The same weather conditions may continue for the rest of the week. The caution was to the effect that they must make sure that the learners and kids are not in exposed to undue harm. We're still mourning, you know, the passing of street learners. It's imperative that our school governing bodies, school management teams and principals exercise extreme caution to ensure that in an event where learners have to you know, cross rivers, they make sure that learners are kept at home. Migrants in a detention facility in the Libyan capital Tripoli have reportedly been seriously wounded in a random shooting. The International Organization of Migration says the incident took place in a facility in Kasbin Hashir. The IOM has been moving some migrants out of detention centers in Tripoli. Forces loyal to the Eastern Military Commander Khalifa Haftar have been trying to take the city in a three-week offensive. However, IOM in a tweet says more than 3,000 migrants are still in detention centres there, among them women and children. And finally, the Sri Lankan president has promised to restructure the country's police and security services following the suicide bombings on Easter Sunday, which killed more than 320 people. Both the president and the prime minister have denied prior knowledge of intelligence reports warning of the attacks. The BBC's Anbrosan Itharajan reports. It was an embarrassing admission by President Sirisena that security officials did not share with him the intelligence report warning about the attacks. In a televised address last night, Mr. Sirisena said he had decided to take stern action against the officials concerned and promised to shake up the top leadership of the armed forces within 24 hours. With the IS admitting responsibility for the attacks, Sri Lanka is now entering uncharted territory. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. The United Nations Security Council has passed a watered-down draft for a resolution that seeks to strengthen accountability mechanisms and a victim-centered approach when incidents of sexual violence occur in theaters of war or conflict. 
The United States had earlier threatened to veto the resolution if language on sexual and reproductive health was not removed. Despite supporting the compromise resolution, South Africa expressed its firm belief that essential services must be provided to survivors of sexual violence in line with the country's constitution. Show and Rice Peace reports. The draft resolution has been adopted as Resolution 2467. That was hard that was hard work. The resolution passed after the concerns of the United States were addressed, but with notable abstentions from Russia and China. But South Africa took the view that reproductive health services are critical to the overall empowerment of women. Ambassador Mkolisi Nkosi is the Deputy Director General in the Department of International Relations, responsible for global governance. South Africa's vote in support of the German text on sexual violence in conflicts is a strong indication of its unwavering commitment to zero tolerance for sexual violence in conflict settings. This is despite the Council's inability to advance this agenda in a meaningful way that would protect the victims of sexual violence and restore their dignity. Attempts to establish a formal mechanism to monitor and report on atrocities of sexual violence was also removed at the behest of China, Russia and the United States. South Africa firmly believes that essential services must be provided to the survivors of sexual violence in line with our long-held position that sexual and reproductive health services are not only an important component of the right to health, they are critical for the overall empowerment of women. In the context of sexual violence in conflict, the lack of access to these services threatens the most sacrosanct of all human rights, namely the right to life itself. Earlier, the Council heard from advocates who work in the arena of sexual violence and conflict, among them Nobel Peace Prize laureate and a medical doctor in the DRC, Dennis Mukwege. Our experience has shown us that the process of healing for survivals is only completed when justice has been served. This is the reason for which we fully support the recommendations of the Secretary General's 10th report and the work of his special representative on sexual violence and conflict. Likewise, we welcome the initiative of the German delegation to put forward a new resolution as it places a particular focus on the need to recognize the status of children born of rape, a comprehensive survivor-centered approach, and also on the need to apply sanctions, ensure justice, ensure accountability, and provide reparations. International lawyer Amal Clooney called for the Council to strengthen access to justice for victims, including with referrals to the International Criminal Court or the creation of new tribunals, as was the case in the aftermath of the Rwanda genocide. Although this draft resolution is a welcome step forward, especially insofar as it strengthens the sanctions regime for those who commit sexual violence, we must go further. Because if this august body cannot prevent sexual violence in war, then it must at least punish it. So instead of abandoning international justice, we must stand up for it. Because justice is not inevitable. It doesn't just happen. And it doesn't stand a chance if people in power, including those at this table, don't make it a priority. 
The resolution seen as part of efforts to strengthen the international framework around the landmark resolution 1325 on women, peace and security that marks its 20th anniversary next year. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. Let's go back in time to today in 2005. Pope Benedict XVI formally began his stewardship of the Roman Catholic Church. That's today in history in the year 2005. Protesters in Sudan have ignored the army's demand to stop their demonstrations. The opposition groups want a civilian government to replace the military, which seized power from the widely discredited President Omar al-Bashir in a coup two weeks ago. The BBC's Monahad Hashim grew up in Sudan and returned to his homeland for this report. Almost two weeks on, and for some, the changes still seem hard to believe. Students manning checkpoints. These are people who were shot at and they are still brave enough to stand day in, day out to try and make sure that people who were their torturers and people who were fighting them only two weeks ago are not infiltrating and are not coming in to disrupt the crowds that are here. The military court are filled with music. It's like a football match. They're saying... Which means if it fell or it didn't fall, we are staying put. Human rights activists on the streets. The crimes of the regime on graphic display. We're standing opposite the entrance to the Ministry of Defense there to my left. Some of the images are very graphic. They show victims, prisoners, and their key demand is that ousted President Bashir to be taken to the ICC. It is 12 days since dictator Omar al-Bashir was toppled, and much has changed. I mean, you see, you have the 6th of April over there, and basically saying, on the 6th of April we broke the chains, and it says it's a revolution of awareness. Maybe most significantly, debate is flourishing. And this is all happening outside the headquarters of the army infantry, the Ministry of Defense, and you have soldiers who are listening. People who are used to taking orders are suddenly exposed to an area of open debate. It's a revolution that's about raising awareness and changing attitude. This revolution is changing Sudan. The question is, how deep? these changes go. Muhammad Hassan Bushi was a long-standing critic of the regime. He was imprisoned and tortured. But he's optimistic. The initiative is with protesters and the power is in our hands, the people. I don't feel anyone can usurp our revolution despite many attempts to steal it. I have great faith in the Sudanese people and the Sudanese youth. But the people who have led this revolution are far more cautious. They're putting their final touches to this press conference that's due in about an hour. About to get some seats for the diplomats. But talking to them, you sense their frustration uh, and distrust of the ruling transitional military council. They're saying that the leader is saying something to the media, but actually the military is buying time, is stalling. The speeches were full of defiance. 
the crowds full of passion and expectation. This was trailed as the day the SPA would announce their vision for the government of Sudan. He's telling them how the negotiations are going, and it's not good. They declared talks with the military had broken down. This crowd, this movement, still has momentum. But it is the military who controls Sudan. How they will be removed is still unclear. That report by the BBC's Monahad Hassim in Sudan. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. Former South Africa's President Thabo Mbeki has confirmed that he will be campaigning for the African National Congress leading up to the May 8th elections. For the first time since 2008, Mbeki made a public appearance at the Rand Easter show in Nazareth, Johannesburg, where he made the announcement. He says after careful consideration, he can see the ANC is moving towards the right direction, preaching the gospel of self-correct. Therefore, he will be a part of this transition, as Abongile Dumako tells us. In what many saw as a surprise, former President Thabo Mbeki has publicly declared his support for the current leadership of the ANC ahead of the crucial May 8 elections. He was last seen in public wearing the ANC cap in 2008 before his abrupt recall from office as the president. Mbeki says he feels he can now convince voters to choose the ANC because the party shows signs of self-correcting amid claims of state capture and grand corruption. The fact that we admit that we veered, of course, and resulting in corruption, this and that and the other, it means we are making a commitment to the public that we are going to have to deal with those matters. And therefore there is a degree of accountability of the ANC to the public, which the ANC cannot run away from. So it's not just a matter of these elections now on the 8th of May. There are consequences to the commitments that the ANC makes in that election manifesto. To the population of South Africa. says the ANC Veterans League was right in raising concerns about some of the party members included in the parliamentary and provincial lists to represent the ANC. He says the Integrity Committee of the ANC must take action and address those concerns and make its findings public in due course. I think the ANC Veterans were correct to raise that. 
the ANC has got its own structures. And what has happened, again, as you know, that whole list was given to the Integrity Committee of the ANC. And I'm told the Integrity Committee, they have not told me that, but I'm told the Integrity Committee has looked at that list and has its own views. Now, that, those views of the Integrity Committee will not remain secret. Meanwhile, Mbeki has reiterated former President Kalima Mutlante's view that the ANC needs to really conduct an introspection in order to move forward as a movement. He has called on all South Africans registered to vote to come out in their numbers and make a wise choice by voting for the ANC. I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. South Africa's opposition party, the EFF, has accused the mainstream media of a media blackout in its election campaigns. EFF President Julius Malema said this during a walkabout at the Easter Rand Show in Nazarek, south of Johannesburg. Malema has also dismissed reports that there are internal divisions weakening the party's election campaign. Wusisiwa Jemsana Mandashe reports. Political parties are taking their campaigns to where people are flocking to, and in Johannesburg, that is the Easter Ranch show in Nazrek. The EFF did a walkabout and visited black-owned businesses that were showcasing their products in this annual event. EFF President Julius Malema dismissed claims that the EFF is divided, saying all national office bearers are crisscrossing the country, campaigning for the party. Malema says the party has been experiencing media blackouts from the mainstream media. Malema elaborates. We thought the problem was Chaudi. We thought the problem was uh, Jimmy uh, Matthews. But now it's clear. The problem is not individuals. It is institutionalized. So the ruling party has made the SABC its mouthpiece. And it manipulates uh, the SABC. I mean, that's the attitude we have taken in the media. And we're fine with it. Why? It's a struggle. We cannot expect uh, ENCA to cover us the same way it's covering the DA. It is pro the establishment. Despite this, the EFF says it is well received on the ground and is hopeful that it will do extremely well in these general elections. It says it is open to coalition government with the ANC should the need arise after the elections. Malema explains. We will go to the discussions with the ANC. The ANC has not been hostile to us. The ANC has not been engaged in violent, violent activities against us. We will listen to them. And if they don't make sense, we'll show them the door. I don't, I don't imagine myself sitting with Musumai Mani again on the same table after he said we stole the money of VBS, even when there's no such evidence of stealing money uh, from uh, uh, VBS. Malema has also labelled EFF MPs leaving the party and accusing the national leadership of financial mismanagement as disgruntled members who are at the bottom of the party list. Musisiwe Jemsana Mantashe, SABC News, Nazrek, south of Johannesburg.
The High Court sitting in Nelspruit in South Africa's Mpumalanga province has dismissed an application to disband the ruling ANC's Provincial Executive Committee. Disgruntled members of the party claim that the PEC was elected in an illegal conference held in 2015 where bogus delegates participated. Current South Africa's Deputy President David Mabuza was elected the party's chairperson for a third term. Mtobisi Mkalihi has more. ANC members celebrating outside the Nelspruit Magistrate Court just after Judge Brian Mashile handed down his ruling on the case regarding a dispute between ANC members in the province. Some ANC members took the party to court claiming that branches were established irregularly ahead of the 2015 provincial conference. They also say the Bushabela region was established without following proper procedures of the ANC. Handing down his judgment, Judge Mashile said the application to disband the PEC is dismissed because the complaint is brought five years after the alleged incident took place. The judgment was welcomed by the ANC provincial spokesperson, Sasekani Manzini. It is the organization that matters. Our individual interest, it doesn't matter when it comes to the organization. So we are happy that today, finally, the issue of court is closed. We are no longer going to talk about the court. All of us must go back to our branches and focus on making sure that we do our door-to-door, speak to our people, respond to the issues that our people are saying every day. So that's what we are calling for. But the disgruntled group says it is not over yet. One of them, William Gata, says they are intending to appeal the judgment. The issue of Mushabelo remains an illegal matter and unconstitutional matter of the The judge didn't go to the merit of the case. He said they have brought the issue of Mushabelo five years later since it was established. However, Bushabele is a continuous illegal act within the structures of the NC. So we're going to start the judgment, but we're taking the order. But we must tell you that uh, up front that we're going to uh, challenge and appeal this judgment. The ANC in the province has called on all its members to accept the court ruling. I'm Tobis Mkalip, SAPC News, Nelspreet Magistrate Court. South African political parties have about two weeks to make sure they convince as many voters as they can to vote for their particular party. From adverts on television and social media to home visits and placards, posters and billboards, the country's main opposition party, the DA, even uses SMSs and automated phone calls, much to the ire of some people. Some say they find the phone calls distasteful and an invasion of their privacy. Zaline Merrington has more. Are you one of those frustrated cell phone owners who've received an unwanted SMS or automated phone call from the DA? You are not alone. Some Cape Tonians had this to say. No, I didn't have a problem with that. For me, it was actually good. It was a good thing. I think I had like five calls from, from, the, from the DA. It's that call where you get the phone call and then when you answer and then they are playing this first clip of Musa Maiman. It's actually irritating. Yeah. But where, where do they, uh, they getting the data? Like, do they have any right to do that, like uh, bothering us with emails and, uh, and calls, the, automat- the automated calls yeah, that they normally do? But do they have any right on, on doing that? Because yeah, it's kind of uh, irritating. It's kind of irritating. I just wish they can stop it, whatever they're doing. In accordance with the Protection of Personal Information Act, you may only be contacted by a service provider or any other company if you are already a customer of theirs or have personally supplied them with your information. 
So unless you willingly gave your number during a door-to-door visit by the DA, they are operating outside the prescripts of the law when they contact you. The chairperson of the information regulator, Pansy Tlakula, explains. They are violating the law because the law has been adopted by Parliament, however, and in fact also the right to privacy is a right that is entrenched in the Constitution, which is a founding right for what we are talking about. So they are. Telephone numbers of voters are their personal information, and uh, the the right to privacy uh, protects that personal information. So we are saying to parties, please don't willy-nilly need the personal information of voters uh, without following the prescripts of the law. The DA's communication director, Mabine Siabe, says they've noted the complaints on social media. Despite the criticism that one sees on social media, the people of South Africa and the public at large uh, welcome these phone calls as a form of the Democratic Alliance interacting with us. In fact, uh, the majority of South Africans listen to the end of the phone call and request uh, some sort of further engagement with the party. So it's a form of, uh, of campaigning that works. Any form of campaigning that a party does, uh, there'll be a certain sector of society that will be happy with them. But we're confident that this is a, a campaign and strategy that works. Tlakula says all sections of the Act, particularly about sanctions, have not yet come into effect due to the difficulty in getting her office fully functional. Zeline Merrington, Cape Town. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The hatred of journalists has degenerated into violence, contributing to an increase in fear. This is according to the 2019 World Press Freedom Index, compiled by Reporters Without Borders. The index showed the number of countries regarded as safe, where journalists can work in complete security, continues to decline, while authoritarian regimes continue to tighten their grip on the media. The RSF Index evaluates the state of journalism in 180 countries and territories every year. More from Arnaud Froger, head of the Africa Desk for Reporters Without Borders. Well, the World Press Freedom Index is seeking to assess press freedom situation in every and each of uh, the 180 countries um, that we are ranking uh, in the index. It means that uh, we are assessing uh, whether or not the environment for uh, media and uh, media professionals uh, is free, independent, if there, are, there is pluralism, uh, and if journalists are free to, to, to speak their minds and to do uh, their job and to exercise their mission of information. So how is the information gathered? We gather the information uh, through several channels. The first one is to gather information through experts um, that we have identified in every country. Uh, there could be journalists, there could be academics, there could be lawyers. They are all uh, very much aware of uh, the president's situation in each of the country. Uh, and they are um, answering a very comprehensive and diverse a questionnaire about press freedom situation uh, in that country. Uh, we gather the data, uh, it gives us a score, and then we compare the score with our own analysis and our own data 
and the comparison of these two scores, uh, it leads to a, a final score that allows us to rent the country from 1 to 180. So it's both the analysis of underground experts that was Arnaud Froger, head of the Africa Desk for Reporters Without Borders, speaking to Ntlantla Matlang. Our headlines up next with Nosile Zuma. Thank you, Lolo. Good morning. The death toll following the devastating floods in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province has risen to 51. Ugandan police place opposition politician Bobby Wine under preventative arrest in his house in capital Kampala. And the New Zealand and France and New Zealand and France are to hold a meeting of world leaders and tech companies in Paris in May to try to end the use of social media to promote terrorism. Your full bulletin coming up at nine. Torrential downpours in the South African city of Durban since Monday night have led to tragedies for several families. In Malvern, west of the city, a house collapsed on nine family members while they were asleep. Seven people lost their lives. Two are in hospital. Ten minutes away in Westcliff and Chatsworth, another family suffered the loss of eight people. One was hospitalized in a critical condition. Minoshni Pillay visited the scene and filed this report. Water continued to run down the driveway of this modest family outbuilding in Malvern. Heavy rains after about 9 o'clock on Monday night caused the house to collapse on the occupants. All that remains now is piles of debris, mattresses, a baby bottle. Jacob Tolle lost his brother-in-law, sister-in-law and niece. He says the call he received left him in shock. Uh, there's uh, my young brother, my brother, they told me during the night, your brother-in-law, they died with the daughter, with the, his wife. So I was so shocked because it was during the night, so I wasn't able to be to come to see what is happening. I doesn't know what I can explain to my family, whatever I go to Malawi. So we still see what God is going to give for us for the end for this day. Community members did not hesitate to help. They brought gloves and spades, joining already exhausted search and rescue workers to dig through the rubble and thick, gunky mud to get to the remaining three victims, a mother and her two children. Local businesses brought water and food. These two community members say they did not hesitate when they got the call for help. Emergency personnel, they were, they were tied up in so many places throughout the city and we just felt the urgent need to come out and assist. So we actually put the news out to the community members and neighborhood watchers and all the guys came through and we helped. It's a very sad day for, for us in Durban. You know, everybody's properties has been affected and for the community to get together like this today to show force and to help recover these bodies, it's, it's remarkable. Costa Cadetis is one of the community members who used social media to mobilize people. 
I put the message out on the group and as you can see by the rally amount of people who've come forward to assist us and help us has been phenomenal. There's a lot of people, neighbours and that who come out with picks and shovels um, to try and help locate, to move the rubble. We went up to the house to have a look and then they just, the SAPS arrived and we took groups of people up at a time, coordinated. Business is a rally unbelievable. <laughs> Just 10 minutes away in Westcliff in Chatswood, there were similar scenes. Fallen trees, collapsed banks and flooded homes. Tragedy had struck a Westcliff family living in the caretaker quarters at Westcliff Secondary School. Eight people died here. One remains in hospital. Max Lozalo lost his cousin in this tragedy. He says he would have been at home if he'd not been working the night shift. My cousin, he came there. Also, half past five, I was there. My cousin, I spoke to him. I gave him money to buy something to eat. Then I went to work. After that, after maybe around nine, they saw the bag. It was falling. They came down to help them. But he was already dead. Again in Chatsworth, it was community members like Melanie David who were first on the scene. When I got here to the scene, there was no one here. So we enlisted the help of some uh, uh, business and they brought in their trucks and their graders. Began with the community. We all put our hands together. People were actually physically pulling bodies out of the rubble. It was actually quite uh, uh, wonderful to, to watch the community come together. No religions, just all looking out for the welfare of those that were still trapped. And we were hoping that could have been, might have been alive uh, underneath all that rubble. But in the end, there would be no happy ending for this community as rescue workers pulled the last two bodies from the mud and cement, a mother and her baby found embracing in the last moments of their lives. For the SABC, I'm Minoshni Pele at Chatsworth, south of Durban. Communities and religious leaders have come together to call for peace and calm in Sri Lanka following the deadly church and hotel suicide bombings on the Easter Sunday. With nearly 300 killed, including 45 children, the Indian Ocean Island nation is in a state of mourning. UN resident coordinator in Sri Lanka, Hannah Singer, has warned that beyond the fear and shock, there is a rising concern over a possible backlash. The UN is on the ground supporting communities and providing medical supplies as well as psychological aid for those who witness the violence. Singer gives an update. Well, of course, as you can imagine, uh, uh, the mood is one of uh, incredible shock and fear at the same time. Uh, we are talking about over 310 uh, dead in one day and uh, over 500 plus, 540 plus injured. Uh, so um, it's massive shock for the psyche of a, of a country that has just come out of 30 years of uh, civil war just 10 years ago. Uh, this is a time for mourning, really, for those who have lost their lives. Funerals are being held today and tomorrow. There is a considerable fear as anger rises uh, for a backlash. Um, uh, 
so and and um, and uh, and the certain groups certain groups could be targeted as as a result of that so, so uh, i mean communities on the ground i think are still in a state of shock now the police and the armed forces have been deployed across the provinces i uh, have to say uh, religious leaders until now have been very statesman like and have been calling for peace and calm um, all uh, religious leaders cutting across faith groups uh, have come together to call for peace and calm. And the government, uh, together with the community, are organizing the funerals. And I understand that also lots of the Muslim communities have been supporting the churches in also setting up the funerals. So lots of communal movement, but at the same time there is uh, like... A, uh, lots of fear as well awaiting the backlash. Uh, Ms. Hannah, as a resident coordinator, uh, what have you done since the attacks happened in, in terms of reaching uh, out to the community and, and, and such? Yes, I mean, in my capacity as the representative of the Secretary General, I have met with the President, the Prime Minister, the Army Commander, the religious leaders to convey uh, our condolences. Uh, I in particularly spoke to the Cardinal and I'm hoping to be attending some of the funerals of some of the families if the situation allows. But I'm very closely also together with my team monitoring the security and the political situation closely because they are ensuring uh, 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 the safety of the UN staff and ensuring that the UN uh, uh, country team are also working together to agree on security measures for the UN. It's also very critical to keep the top UN leadership in New York and Geneva informed of the political development and also uh, to provide our analysis on the ground of the situation, but also to ask for uh, the, globe, uh, the uh, analysis from their side, uh, side as well. We are also doing forward planning to put in place uh, uh, a communication strategy uh, that speaking on uh, with the UN uh, speaking as one to build a narrative of peace. I think this will be one of our most important next steps with this regard. Uh, we are also monitoring social media to track hate search, uh, speeches and li- liaising with uh, Facebook to share information to counter the spread of hate speech. Uh, some so uh, some agencies, of course, I'm coordinating with the agencies as well. So some agencies on the ground, like for example UNICEF, is uh, because the the death of children is horrific. It's over 45 children have been killed uh, uh, in this attack, and uh, 45 children, yes. Uh, and we are afraid that this could rise even. So UNICEF is providing medical supplies as requested by the hospitals for treating injured children and families. And both UNICEF WHO are also working on providing psychosocial uh, first aid program for uh, the families who have been impacted or who have witnessed the violence. But of course, now this is the time that we'll also we will be needing long-term psychosocial support and counseling services uh, to the communities. So uh, this is like the, our first aid and the immediate uh, actions that we have done. You know, it's just a day since the terrible, uh, horrific event there. And uh, Ms. Hanna you uh, talked about uh, reaching out to social media to uh, combat hate speech on, on their platform. Do you have any concern about the government clamp down on social media in Sri Lanka? 
Um, well, you know, they uh, for uh, we had just uh, experience in Kandy in March 2018, where the government has really the, had worked well uh, trying to uh, not a clampdown, but controlling the social media to control the the, the fake news uh, and inciting violence. Unfortunately, this has been you know social media has been used to spread fake news and to incite violence. So these are short measures take adopted by the government now to put an immediate stop and control of uh, the current uh, the current situation. You know the mood is very raw. So this was uh, their way to to counter the fake news and to incite violence for now. That's UN Resident Coordinator in Sri Lanka Hannah Singer speaking to UN News Mustafa Al Khamal. Africa rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our economics update up next with Tavi Solohoku. Good morning. Uganda has received two passenger planes, a key step in the country's efforts to relaunch its defunct national carrier and share in the region's aviation business, which is dominated by Ethiopian Airlines and Kenyan Airways, founded by Uganda's former long-time president Idi Amin. In 1976, Uganda Airlines was liquidated in the 1990s by President Yoweri Museveni under a broader program to privatize the troubled state firms and open up the economy to private enterprise. But last year, officials started pursuing plans to relaunch the airline to share in East Africa's growing aviation business. Zambia and Saudi Arabia have signed a bilateral trade agreement to facilitate seamless trade and a bilateral investment treaty to facilitate investment. Saudi Arabia is considering sending a technical team to Zambia to assess epidemic situation and veterinary services, as well as get acquainted with procedures followed to control foot and mouth disease. Saudi Arabia has expressed interest to cooperate with Zambia in the supply of phosphate fertilizer, investment in farm blocks and the health sector. Tanzania aims to have six times its current power generation capacity by 2025 through investment in thermal and renewable energy. The East African country boasts reserves of over 57 trillion cubic feet of natural gas but faces periodic power shortages. Investors have long complained that a lack of reliable power hurts business in the country. 
The European Union has disclosed its readiness to support renewable energy investment in Nigeria. In an interview with Vanguard News, head of the EU delegation to Nigeria and West African regional bloc ECOWAS, Kirtil Akasin, says that the EU will be there to work alongside Nigeria as partners in this important challenge. Akasin says lack of access to modern, sustainable and affordable energy can reverse the development and result in increased efficiencies in efficiencies at all levels. Inflows from multilateral loans will continue to strengthen Namibia's foreign exchange reserves this year. According to the Bank of Namibia's latest money and banking statistics report, foreign exchange reserves increased on a monthly basis during February 2019. The increase in the reserves is mainly due to increased net capital inflows by commercial banks coupled with exchange rate valuations. Meanwhile, Financial Services Group PSG Namibia says export growth is expected to moderate this year due to the global economic slowdown and lower diamond production. The U.S. dollar is trading at 357.90 Nigerian Nara, 10.41 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shilling 71 cents, and 12.28 Zambian Guacha. In Brex currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.93 Brazilian roll, 63.74 Russian ruble, 69.80 Indian rupee, 6.72 Chinese yuan, and 14.22. South African Rand. It's also trading at 77 pence to the British pound, 89 cents to the euro, gold $1,269, platinum $884 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $74.15 a barrel from an African perspective. A sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. From the sports desk, a very good morning. Starting off with soccer news. Spanish soccer giants Barcelona will win La Liga tonight if Atletico Madrid lose to Valencia after a 2-0 victory over Alaves gave them a 12-point lead at the top of the table. Lionel Messi started on the bench at Mendizorota on Tuesday in a move that made it clear just how comfortable Barca are in this title race. Its conclusion is surely now only a matter of when rather than if. Should Atletico avoid defeat to Valencia at the Wanda Metropolitano, the Catalans will still be crowned champions on Saturday at the Camp Nou with a victory over Levante. They could even have it wrapped up before kick-off on Saturday if Atletico failed to take at least four points from Valencia and Real Valladolid, the latter whom they face a few hours earlier on Saturday. 
South African Premiership side Free State Stars are confident that winning three points against Baroka FC at home tonight could see them clear away from the relegation zone. Head coach Nikola Kavazovic says they want to do everything they can to win the Absa Premiership match at the Cobble Park Stadium in the Free State province of Bethlehem. Stars are currently placed 13th on the local standings with 25 points while Baroka are placed 15th with 24 points. We are not uh, doing calculations anymore. We are entering every game to try to win. Uh, but tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's uh, let's say, calculation is very clear. Team who wins three points, uh, I think, uh, will be secure from relegation no matter on remaining three games. So... Uh, we will do everything to secure three points tomorrow and to release of all this all, all, all those pressure that we are struggling with uh, in uh, in all uh, second half of season uh, because I think that those three points tomorrow will secure us uh, in relegation. South African Kwazulu Natal province-based Amazulu defender Mark van Herden does not believe that Lapa are entirely safe in their plight to avoid relegation. Also to host Supersport United at the King's Olitini Stadium in Umlazi tonight, desperate for one of two wins that will then secure status. This is according to the former Orlando Pirates defender. Amazulu presently have 27 points from 26 games, three ahead of Chipper United and Baraka FC, who are in the 14th and 15th respectively. Even though both those sides are out of form, Van Herden says that the players and staff at the club are not taking things lightly. Look, I think um, at the moment it's it's all about uh, picking up as many points as you can, you know. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not out of the trouble yet mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we still, um, we still need to pick up two more wins or so and to, to really be... Um, in a position where we can say we're safe. So I think at the moment, you know, um, even though there's no specific target, I think we all know that uh, every game we need to pick up points. In golf news, Tiger Woods, fresh off his Masters victory, said yesterday he has tweaked the schedule for December's Hero World Challenge to ease travel issues from the Bahamas to Australia for the President's Cup. The 43-year-old American star will host the annual Invitational at Albany Resort from December the 4th to the 7th, starting on Wednesday and ending on Saturday. So participants will have extra time for the 9,820-mile-kilometer which is 15,804 kilometers journey to Melbourne for the team showdown from December the 12th to the 15th. Woods completed an epic comeback after spinal fusion surgery and won his 15th major title on April the 14th at the Augusta National, taking his first major win since 2008, US Open by capturing his fifth Masters green jacket. The Hero World Challenge has a $1 million US dollar top prize and will be played at Albany for a fifth consecutive year. Yeah. 
And finally, in tennis news, Alexander Zverev's disappointing season continued last night as the world number three was beaten by lucky loser Nicolas Jerry in the second round of the Barcelona Open. Zverev spent a match point at 6-5 and then a 3-0 lead in the final set tie-break before going down 3-6, 7-5, 7-6 to Jerry ranked 81st in the world. Jerry had even lost in qualifying to Spain's Marcel Granolas, but after being given a reprieve, knocked out the same opponent in the first round to set up a meeting with Zverev, long considered a future star of the men's game. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chamani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Protesters in Sudan ignore the army's demand to stop demonstrations and the UN adopts weakened resolution on sexual violence in conflict. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magada and Komutso Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Matterfix with a song titled Living Dafour.
Living 